Orgasmic Enlightenment, where the sexual and spiritual come together. I'm Kimanami, and I'm a holistic sex and relationship coach and a vaginal weightlifter. In this show, we explore all things intimate. I believe that our sexual energy is life force creative energy, and we can use it to shape our worlds, strengthen our relationships, and self-actualize. I blend the most avant-garde information from neuroscience, ancient sexual practices like Tantra and Taoism, to renegade wellness modalities to show you how to create gourmet sex in your lives. Come one, come all. How to not give a fuck with Dr. Kelly Brogan. One of the hallmarks of becoming a well-fucked woman and a well-fucked person in general is not giving a shit what anyone thinks of you. You don't try not to care, you just don't care. You are so in tuned with your inner truth and your inner compass that the naysaying or influences of others just don't touch you. Instead, they bounce off of you or they go over your head bypassing you entirely. You have raised yourself up to such a level that the only authority you care about is that of your deepest and highest self. You know that you are in alignment with that and that's its own protection, but it's also its own pleasure and satisfaction. And your sexual energy is a key part of this. As your life force energy, the reproductive power of the universe, once you are in line with it, you own it, you love it, you allow it to move through you, then it begins to propel you forward in your life. I talk about this in all of my videos and podcasts, the power of this energy. How when you are out of touch with it, you are operating at a deficiency. And when you are in touch with it, you have its superpowers at your disposal to use in every aspect of your life. All of this power is within you, literally at your fingertips. Yet, the programming we receive from birth tells us that this energy is bad, it's shameful, taboo, and dangerous. The dominant messaging from the allopathic medical system is that this part of you, well, all of you, is a flawed machine and can only survive with its constant intervention, which couldn't be further from the truth. For women, it's an onslaught. From puberty, they are put on hormones, which might be for actual birth control, but often it's for period issues or acne, and then they stay on that for decades. And then strangely, after having their reproductive hormones interfered with for decades, when they actually do decide to get pregnant, they can't. (laughs) So they take more hormones and pills and interventions. Maybe you're told that you need to sacrifice an organ or two. And then later in life, it's more hormones because, you know, menopause is also a grand flaw in the human body. (laughs) So the allopathic messaging is that your body is inherently wrong and only we in the white coats who bend over and say anything for pharmaceutical funding can save you. I saw through this from a young age and have since made alternative and holistic healing my life's work. These are my personal choices and how I run my professional business. My view is that we and our bodies are all powerful. We and our bodies hold all the wisdom, brilliance, and healing potential we could ever need. All we have to do is remove whatever beliefs, obstacles, conditioning, and trauma that obscure this truth. That's why a primary tenet of the Anami philosophy is that everyone can. It's the Anami guarantee. (laughs) Every woman can have deep, life-changing vaginal orgasms, G-spot, cervical, and squirting ejaculate across the room. Every man can have sex for eight hours at a time and learn to separate orgasm from ejaculation. Yes, you all can. One of the things I look for in people and teachers is a relentless and holistic commitment to empowering the individual, reminding them that their power lies within. They don't waver and they don't default here and there and they don't make excuses. 
And this is one of the reasons I recommend so few people in the work that I do or in general, because I feel that most people have a place they cop out and they cave in to a seemingly easier option or excuse. For example, there are many people in the supposedly holistic women's health field who will get to a certain point and then they recommend artificial hormones or the birth control pill for addressing issues in women's health, or hey, it's okay to use lube if you're menopausal. Their faith in the human body falls short. Kelly Rogan is someone who hits the mark. As a holistic psychiatrist, she has gotten people off of all manner of prescription drugs with her protocols, healing people of everything from schizophrenia to bipolar to depression to Graves' disease through all natural methods, combinations of nutrition and lifestyle, but also of doing the deep inner work that is the true source of the malaise that shows up in the psyche. I have tremendous respect for her and her work and the quality that she has in spades, which is not giving a fuck what other people think of her. Because she is a formidable truth speaker, she has been shunned and blacklisted and censored and targeted in smear campaigns for years. And the irony is that everything, every single thing she puts forth is backed up by science. And the things that she speaks out about typically are not. I heard her speaking on Joe Rogan's podcast a few years ago, and that interview has since been taken down because I guess Joe now reads from a script and is told what to say and gets promptly bitch slapped pretty hard if he strays off course. However, in this interview of a few years ago, she talked about something called consensus medicine. So this is when a bunch of WHO, RED, out, bought and paid for doctors or researchers, <laughs> these are air quotes I'm making, all get together and agree on something, perhaps with some special motivation. ka -ching! And there's a lot of that around. It's a special agreement medicine rather than actual science. Anyway, I've said before that she is the equivalent to me in the psychiatric realm. Fearless and bold and taken no shit. So I am honored to have her here today. Welcome, Kelly. I'm so excited to have you here. It's a total, total pleasure to hang out with you. So Kelly is one of these people, there are very few people in this realm whose work I wholeheartedly recommend, and she is one of them. And I think it's because I find in her a quality that I see in myself, which is that I am committed to a radically holistic perspective. And I do not bend or waver on the notion that people truly can heal themselves. They don't need surgery. They don't need pharmaceutical drugs. And a lot of people in who might be calling themselves integrative or functional or more natural often will default, right? They'll have, oh, it's okay to prescribe hormones. It's okay to prescribe certain things. It's okay to prescribe the birth control to control difficult periods where I'm in a place where I just reject that entirely. And so is Kelly Brogan. And so she's, you know, put together these protocols where she's been able to heal people through her suggestions of both outer and inner work without resorting to these other measures. And so I have a massive appreciation for that. And she really, truly embodies the concept of not giving a fuck what other people think of her. So welcome, Kelly. <laughs> what an intro. Thank you. I remember when I was first doing vaginal kung fu years ago, really getting that um, deep sense of soul recognition with you, because I know that you also feel that way and you can't fake it. And other people who happen to have come to that, that radical and immutable and totally reliably consistent belief in the capacity of the human body to heal. You know, I, I'm hoping we're finding each other right now because it's, it's necessary yes. for us to band together. So for the sake of the people in my audience who may or may not know your backstory, can you give us a synopsis of how this happened for you? So to come from a place of being a psychiatrist and you acknowledge that you're, you were, you know, giving prescriptions, relying on medication, 
perhaps amongst other things, but I know you definitely did that. And then you had this massive shift over and you put your prescription pad down and that was it. So was there a specific event that did this? Was there, was this an evolution that happened over time? Like how would you describe your process of being immersed deeply in the system and in psychiatry where, and now you've come to this total, you know, 180 degree place of rejecting those methods and pioneering an entirely new path. And how your approach is actually more based on science than what supposedly the other old guard, old school methods are. Yeah. So I have come definitely to look at so much of what we are experiencing as humans through the lens of maturational psychology and specifically, you know, the evolution of trauma response over a lifetime. And so I've become really interested in looking at my own path, having had this kind of experience of being already several people in this lifetime um, in, in a very, at least polarized fashion. Uh, and to say, how could that be? You know, I'm the same me who was so dedicated, so devoted to allopathic medicine that I specialized as a psychiatrist in prescribing to pregnant and breastfeeding women. That's how necessary, you know, I thought these interventions were. And I reflect on, you know, I was at MIT for college and I volunteered at a suicide hotline. And I had, and still have, so much difficulty tolerating distress and another's distress specifically, that I came into contact with this dynamic relationship with authority where I could appeal to the psychiatrist who was supervising, you know, the cases that came up in this volunteer hotline to help me to feel better about what somebody else was feeling who was calling, right? And the way that we did that together was to get them, you know, closer to medication, right? Help them get an appointment, help them get into the the mental health center, what have you. And so I believe that actually a lot of doctors become doctors because we have so little capacity to be with so-called negative emotions and you know experience feeling any degree of comfort with our own fear that we specialize in you know ameliorating fixing and of course subduing and managing other people's distress without so much as a moment's consideration you know for why they're having these experiences what they might mean and you know how they might be empowered to resolve their own challenges or at least better understand them. There's not room for that because we are colluding in this power dynamic, right? We're colluding in the experience of eliminating any extra minutes of feeling badness, right? And so it really wasn't until I had, you know, what is sometimes called a rupture of idealization, right? I had an experience uh, postpartum, my first pregnancy, where I could no longer really um, resolve the cognitive dissonance that was rattling around inside me um, because I definitely was prescribing to pregnant women, pregnant myself, feeling like I would never take one of these meds as a pregnant woman. And that dissonance is very uncomfortable because it almost brings up sort of moral ethical issues. What am I doing? If I wouldn't do it, why am I doing it you know, to somebody else? And so it wasn't until I could see you know, when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, that there was no way for this system to actually give me what I wanted, which was to live without a prescription. I just didn't want to go to CVS every month for the rest of my friggin' life, you know, which is, I, I knew that that's what Hashimoto's meant. And so in that, you know, sort of with that, uh, you know, sort of incentive, I sought out a naturopath, I resolved my Hashimoto's, at that point, I wasn't meditating, I wasn't doing enemas, I wasn't doing really much of anything other than changing my diet. And I I got rid of gluten, dairy, and sugar, I remember, this was like 11 plus years ago. And I watched my, you know, antibodies and my TSH come into the normal range on paper. And what lit up inside me was a rage that, you know, flared for years. And that is the kind of... (laughs) What happens is, you know, when you no longer can see your parentified authority as good, as all good, often you flip to the other side and you end up vilifying them and you see them as all bad. 
And this power dynamic is exactly the same, of course. And they are still the authority that I need to be good, right? I need them to be good. Listen to me, see how you're wrong. And that went on for a couple of years um, until I actually started to kind of like, as Nietzsche says, like become the monster I was fighting, which, you know, we know in the activism world is, is very, very possible, if not likely actually, um, until and if you begin to understand what your activism and that impulse to fight the bad daddy or bad mommy is really about and how to engage it uh, with the energy of sovereignty, right? So with the expression of your truth, with the living of your life as if fundamentally equally empowered, if not more empowered, you know, than that which you are exposing. And so that transition didn't happen until my, my mentor died suddenly in 2015. And uh, it really brought down the house for me because I had never really experienced grief like that and such a disorientation. And my individuation process, my experience of like, wow, I'm alone, you know, because he was a very much idealized father figure for me, um, really began where I had to understand. It's so funny. When I went to his house after he passed away, his bookshelf, uh, this is Nicholas Gonzalez, by the way, his, um, his bookshelf, you know, had all the books with their spines facing out, right? And there was, I swear, one book facing with the cover out and the book's title, I've never even looked it up to, to find out what this book is actually about, is You're in Charge Now. That's literally what the book wow. I saw facing out. And, uh, and that was the beginning of me understanding, you know, what it is to take personal responsibility, what it is to, you know, engage um, in the, the process of looking inward for the power that I might otherwise source externally. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly still, still on that path, but it was in 2010 that I put down my prescription pad, never started a patient on medications again. And I became very well acquainted uh, through that work with the dark night of the soul. It was almost like a, a manufactured and, and induced dark night of the soul as these women were coming off of medications. And I got to see the anatomy of that, you know, and the, the sort of universal steps of the hero or heroine's journey. And then, of course, I started to experience um, my own uh, dark, dark nights and began to see that that illusory personality has to die, you know, um, before you can really come into contact with who it is that you are that defies all of the identity constructs that you were otherwise kind of stapling and pasting onto yourself, hoping nobody would notice there was a scared child beneath, you know, and so that's a lot of what my work has been dedicated to now, just self-reclamation on, on the deepest level. Yeah, and I think our work is very similar in that way that you, instead of rejecting or trying to bury messages from the body and the psyche, the intention is to take them as information and wisdom and higher messages from the higher self and then interpret them and then use them for healing. Where, you know, again, that's another place where I'd always seen a parallel in our work is that many, many people in my field would be like, oh, the woman's not lubricating. So we give her some artificial lubricant or the man's having trouble with erection. So we give him some Viagra where I would be like, that's not the root cause. And that's a temporary band-aid. And so let's figure out, you know, if the woman, for example, isn't lubricating, she's usually out of touch with her feminine flow and that energy. Like there's all this beautiful and rich symbolism if we turn our lens on it. And you've done that in your work where when you just talked about the dark night of the soul is that by removing those band-aids and those suppressants is that then we have to acknowledge and look at whatever is there and then ideally illuminate it and then catalyze it so that those things that were perhaps weaknesses or fears or disembodied parts of the self we then integrate and we become more whole and more self-realized because of it yes and i think that there's a lot to unwind in the kind of false moralism you know that we're socio-culturally raised with, you know, to, to, to understand that, that this is bad and this is good, right? So it's, it's bad to feel angry. It's bad to feel sad for too long. 
you know, it's, it's bad to be out of control. And so, you know, all of the ways that we are conditioned by our parents to suppress these aspects that are otherwise unacceptable or even shameful, those aspects are there, right? So at, at a certain point, you, you encounter opportunities to revisit, you know, those pieces of yourself that now as an adult, you are responsible for domesticating and, and um, holding hostage. And I think that that's a big part of um, beginning to attune to what it is that the body and also, you know, the emotional body, if you will, is attempting to communicate, right? Because if you have pain, if you have diarrhea, <laughs> if you have brain fog, if you have so-called anxiety, right? If you have, uh, if you're fearful at night and you can't sleep, you know, there is such a, a deeper layer of self-rejection in trying to fix that, even through natural means, like you're saying, you know, like you can throw a natural lube at somebody or whatever that cannot be sustained, right? So unless and until, and if you are ready to turn toward yourself fundamentally, instead of abandoning yourself in search of the, you know, sort of experience of yourself as good and okay, you're never ever going to escape that emptiness, right? Because it's the empty feeling that is the signal, you know, that there's a part to reclaim. And so I think that that's like such a paradigm shift um, in understanding what health and emotional um, experiences are really about, that that's why, that's a chief reason I don't give a fuck about what anyone says about me publicly. I really don't. Um, What's the chief reason? Is, is because we're not even in the same dimension. Like it's, it's, there's no conversation to be had. I mean, initially, and I wrote my first book from this energy of like, okay, I'm going to jam as much science, as many references, because I've, I've been a science nut from the get-go, even when I was on the other team. I'm going to jam it all in here, and I'm going to scream from the mountaintops about this information that I didn't know as a prescriber. So if I didn't know, and I went to, you know, Ivy League med school and whatever else, then I'm guessing that most prescribers don't know this. So how could they possibly provide informed consent? It's not possible to be properly and ethically consented by your prescriber. So I'm going to make sure that patients have the information and then no one's ever going to take an antidepressant again. Well, guess what? That's not what happened. You know, I actually have had friends tell me, can you believe that, you know, my friend read your book and then she actually was like, oh, that's so interesting. But, you know, I just really, I think I'm going to take Lexa Brown. You know, it's not about information because to step into this paradigm that we're speaking of. First of all, you have to be called into it, I believe. You have to be willing to take massive risks. You have to be willing to lose everything, including your feeling of belonging, your experience of tribe and family, and the identity that has been your primary shield against all that you perceive as a threat in the world. That is not for everyone <laughs> and certainly not something that you can wake on a Friday, wake up on a Friday and be like, okay, now I'm going to go get on my journey. So my sense is having, having really tried to study, like what makes somebody ready to wake up? My sense is that you get to a point where the experience of, you know, self-abandonment is so painful and so um, suffocating that you are ready to jump, right? And so how you know you're ready is that like, you take a step in the direction of change and you feel relief just with the movement. I think relief is the first indication, you know, that, that you are destined to walk into the wild unknown of your unlived experience because it's the indicator from your body even that you're coming home. And so it's like just signing up for one of your programs or mine or whatever. Like I've been told so many times, like that's when the healing began, you know, like, ah, you know, the exhale starts. And 
Otherwise, I don't know, because I certainly know that this is not an info war. I certainly know that and now more than ever, right, that it's not a deficiency of information that is keeping anyone stuck and arrested in, you know, disempowerment, helplessness or dependency on an authoritarian system that does not have their best interests at heart. It's not that. So what is it? You know, and I think it's really this readiness to be experienced as bad by some people right? Judged, condemned, left, rejected, abandoned. And to know that as long as you stay with yourself, with your principles, with the feeling in your body, as long as you are willing to turn towards your own fear, your own shame, your own guilt, and just allow it to be. Just allow it to be, to really get to know when that started in your life, where are the roots of those feelings? Then you don't have as much of a need to play the game you were playing of like kind of taking the crumbs, you know, and, and mostly starving um, in your life for that kind of like these surrogate hits for um, validation that really can only come from you. I love that. And, you know, I've seen in my own experience and observation that the price of admission is courage, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I believe that everybody gets given these opportunities, these windows, these portals that offer themselves, and the person has the ability to step into them, or to be like, ah, not, not right now, right? And then keep going. And I believe that every person, no matter what circumstance they're in, in their life, they have that come to them like spiritually energetically as just like a law of the universe that's why we're here and then the people who do step through like to me the the universe rewards courage and so when we take those steps the universe starts to support us right the universe starts to um, participate and co-create that journey with us. And even if we're going through things that are difficult and painful and I, you know, dark night of soul to me is often like a rebalancing of karma, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, um, I've heard this phrase of like this, it's called like the cave of fire in some spiritual paths where often when you start your journey, you go, it's like almost on another dimension into this cave of fire where you're then going through this purification, right? Where a lot of that ugliness and darkness comes up to the surface and you have, you really, your job is you just have to go through it. You know, it's like having, it's like doing a cleanse, right? So you do a 10 day cleanse and often day two or three, you know, can be, you feel the yuckiest where all of the toxins are coming out and you feel them and you feel awesome. Off. And once you get past that, then you feel amazing. You can feel better than you ever have in your life. But if you don't go through those few days or a few years or whatever it might be, then you never get to the other side. And, you know, it's interesting to me, like so many, you know, I guess what's confusing and I see it now playing out at large. And then I've seen it over the years in people who are really in allopathic medicine, how so many of those people have never done the questioning. Like instead of actually, they basically just take what's spoon fed to them and assume that the science is settled and they've never bothered to dig deeper into that. And I also see, so I, I don't know if I, I've really ever met a really, really happy allopathic physician. Honestly, all the ones I've met who have gotten to know deeper were like miserable, often addicted to substances. Like I went on a surf trip and there was these three American doctors on the boat and they had giant bags of, so they're on holiday, on a surf holiday in, in tropical waters. They all have their giant bags of pills. They've got morning pills. They've got afternoon pills. They've got evening pills. They've got, oh, this will be better for surfing pills. Like they were, I never, we were just like, you know, dumbstruck. We couldn't believe it. And, and, and miserable you know, really miserable guys. And, and that's, you know, I've met several, you know, been in several situations and seen that up close. And, and, and to me, the way I see that is that they know that in their work, they're really not healing people, right? They're, they're not healing them. They're potentially actually harming them. If, you know, at best, they're just maintaining them. And, you know, and that there's that massive cognitive dissonance and that's how they're, you know, so is dealing with that pain is burying it because the truth is they're really not healing people. Yeah. I mean, the, the victim persecutor 
savior triangle is highly operative in that belief system. And so whenever you're orienting around this concept of the victim, which, you know, I've said and will say again that I, I do believe that victim consciousness is the only human pathology because it, it, it <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's founded on, on a lie, you know, which, which is that we are powerless um, and that we are helpless instead of just feeling that way, you know, from echoes of an experience of our, our you know, childhood. And as adults, when we participate in this concept of the victim, you know, who needs to be saved against, you know, some bad aggressor, random aggressor from the outside, everyone is carrying, you know, you flip flop around the whole triangle all the time because everyone is carrying that energy of disempowerment, even the, you know, the savior, right? So if the doctor is the savior, the patient is the victim and the persecutor is interestingly often the body, right? Or maybe it's a germ or a bad gene or whatever it is. It's threaded through with this concept um, that badness is random, that, you know, you, you as a savior are obligated to find your worth in applying yourself and your self-abandonment to um, someone else's well-being or, you know, that there is such a thing as a bad guy who could get us at any moment. I mean, it's just, it's a hellish dimension to yeah. occupy, right? And when you exit that, you know, cause as, as some MDs have, you find like, wow, <laughs> life is so much more interesting. It's so much more dynamic when I, I myself and, you know, I encourage others to respond with curiosity to adversity that might, you know, emerge from their lifescape and to find meaning in the various um, challenges, you know, that come our way, because, you know, the only person in that narrative that can truly decode what it is that's being delivered is the person experiencing it. Well, isn't that nice and tidy, right? Because then we just each take care of ourselves to the very best of our ability and then we get to just simply co be co-present to each other and support each other without actually having to fundamentally prioritize somebody in this kind of like false saviorhood. And it it's such a liberation uh, to step out of that. I mean, it, it's um, it's really. I mean, obviously, it's been referred to as a, as a cult. And for good reason, it's a hierarchical model that is founded on, you know, the experience of, of pain and abuse. I mean, my, my training was a horrendous chronic trauma in my life, you know, that I probably attracted um, and was interested in to revisit, you know, this, this deep feeling of powerlessness and resentment, you know, and, you know, whatever else. Um, rage that I hadn't otherwise made contact with until, in, you know, until I became an intern and a resident. I mean, I was like always in power struggles and battles with, the, I was like the bad kid, you know, the scapegoat nice. all the time. And, you know, that hierarchical model is designed for one thing, which is consistent compliance and obedience with a power structure that subdues the masses into order. And it has nothing to do <laughs> with your story, your health, your experience. You are, you know, room 204C, the hepatitis case. I mean, that's literally what you are. And, and that's not because any of the people involved are fundamentally sociopaths or interested in dehumanizing, you know, their fellow, you know, citizens. It's simply the nature of the, you know, the, the belief field that is, is held in that system. And there's no way out. You know, when I was prescribing, I never one time ever helped to facilitate remission or cure ever. It is not even a promise that is offered by that system. So, you know, it's like, if you go to the butcher, don't expect to learn about vegan resources, right? So if, mm. if, 
the experience of healing, whatever that might mean, integrating, recapturing, reclaiming, is not on sale <laughs> at that store. <laughs> and why do we go there? We go there, you know, because we want to feel taken care of. We want to be told what to do. And because we are afraid and we don't know how to be with our fear without needing it to go away. And so, you know, that's why I, I believe that the, you know, the, the basic protocol that I have, there's really nothing too special about it. However, it's, it's over the years generated a field, you know, as, as of yours, a field of almost ritual empowerment, you know, that is conferred to the participants. And what happens in this program is that you commit with fierce discipline and self-attention to making choices that are dynamically disruptive to your default mode network, right? To that automatic pilot you've been in for so many years of your own victimhood. And as you begin to feel different, you cannot unsee the fact that you are the reason that you feel different, that your choices actually led you to this place. And how could that be true if the doctor knows better about you than you do, the science says it's not possible what just happened for you. And if fundamentally, you know, you didn't even get a, a proper diagnosis or treatment, you know, to get to where you got, right? So you can do this entirely on your own. So it defies so, so much dogma um, that we are then again presented with that fork, right? Where we can pretend it didn't happen, you know, or we can say, okay, this must mean a lot of what I've been believing has been, you know, wrong at, at best and, and, you know, self-abusive at worst. I think what's great and what I think happens with people stepping into your work or my work is that they know something is off. Like there's something in the answers that they're getting or non-answers they're getting from the traditional allopathic world, but they don't know what the right answers are because they've never heard them or seen them. And so they don't have, they can't articulate, you know, they don't have a vocabulary for something that they don't even, a language they just, they don't know exists. They have kind of an intuition that this isn't quite right, you know, or this doesn't seem right. So what I can never be healed, right? Like women get told these things like, oh, like you have to take out your uterus or in your, in your case, like you have to be on medication for the rest of your life. This thing is like a lifelong sentence. It can never be fixed. Right. And I think something with this, us if we're not completely under the spell is just like, really? Like that's the best you can do. That is the best you can do really. And then when they hear something or they read something and they get a glimmer of another path and then like something in them, the truth, right? Lights up. If as long as they've got some remaining connection to that ability to discern and then they take another, you know, they take a step and then they take another step. And I think it becomes this beautifully exciting journey that once you get that validation of the truth, that's been struggling to emerge within you, then you're pretty much on your way. You know, I think like it would be hard to, you know, really shut that down unless you're I don't know, maybe you're surrounded by a lot of people who criticize you and condemn you. And then that's, I think that's that critical moment of, okay, you seize that courage and you step forward anyway, right? Despite other people's opinions or thoughts. And then you earn, you earn your own self-realization, which to me is really what life is all about. But, um, you know, it's just, it's shocking to see like so many people, like, you know, we've talked about this and I know you talk about this, like where the, the doctor with their, their robe, it's kind of akin to this priest, mm -hmm. right? Like an, uh, like the, the, the intervet, the intermediary between you and God is a priest and the intermediary between you and your body is a doctor and you're not a thou shalt not go there by thyself, right? Like you have to, they have to interpret for you. And whereas like, I know with both you and my work, like the intention is, I will teach you some things and show you some things. And then you're on your own. Like, I don't want you to be dependent on me. I don't want a, like a business model that brings you back all the time. I want you to take these tools and then run with them and you can, right? And so it's a beautiful unfoldment process, but it's really 
like it, you know, what you're saying about like, it's not an information lack because all this information is out there, especially now with the internet and, you know, despite the amount of censorship that's there, if you have a modicum, a modicum of research skills and, you know, curiosity, you can find it. Anybody can. And that's why when people, like, it's kind of hard for me to have a lot of compassion for people who don't, because it's a deliberate choice to remain ignorant or sick or as you, as victim. Like, I love that idea that the only true pathology is victimhood. Like, it's amazing. Right? Because it's, it's the fundamental root of disempowerment. And, you know, the, the paradox of the fact that we, we have world creating power, you know, and, you know, it's like that we're God and we're also not, you know, that we are this kind of, I'm like this little Kelly, but that I also have, you know, all of the elements that are, you know, comprise the divine. And so how, how is it that I could be this, this powerless, you know, entity here to just suffer and struggle, um, flounder around until I die? Like, is that really what I incarnated for? Or is it this reclamation? I mean, reclamation for me is, is the most, is the biggest ticket item, right? Like it's, it's, and I know it's not for everyone, you know, for, for different people, different journeys, um, might be, you know, it might be a different carrot at the end of the stick. But for me, that experience of, like you said, like remembering, reclaiming, like reconnecting to something that I already knew, but forgot in my slumber, that feeling is so, it's almost addictive, right? Like once you start to do this work and you know that pain is an indicator that some part you're, you're asleep to some part of yourself, then you know to move towards it because on the other end, like you said, is that is the fulfillment and gratification of reclamation, which is like nothing else in the world. And, you know, that's why I agree so much that our best energy and efforts are in focusing on exposing what's possible. And that shift happened for me, you know, uh, I don't know, around 2015 or so where I really put down my sword. I stopped writing into pharma blogs and I said, you know what, I'm just going to focus on testimonials and on, you know, the fact that, you know, you can heal Graves disease, you can heal schizophrenia, you can heal so-called bipolar disorder, you can heal migraines, you can heal lupus, you know, and, and I set to publishing these cases um, with a team of volunteers to, you know, putting videos out there of people who are courageous enough to tell their story in such a, you know, stigmatized realm. Um, so that people can make contact with, on a heart level with what is possible for them. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's more difficult to take the bait of the small choice, right? Because you don't have a choice until you know you have a choice, but once you know you have a choice, then you're actually making one, even if you're defaulting in powerlessness to uh, a familiar, you know, sort of path or road. Um, but it, it does require recognizing, you know, that the spell of scientism, right? The, the um, indoctrination is very, very, very deep. It's, it's, um, it's a conditioning, you know, that's now several hundred years, that, it, it, you know, if you want to look at it that way, uh, in the making, that you know, it, it's going to be super scary to imagine that you could also be in this category of dogma-defying outcomes, right? Uh, and and not be burned at the stake or not be condemned and ostracized, because you know, scientism, like you said about the the robes in the temple or whatever, scientism is the dominant religion on this planet right now, and yeah. that's why we have watched all other religions you know, bow, bow, you know, to, to what it is that we call, um, the religion of, of scientism, you know, that's why you have the, the Dalai Lama, you know, eating, what was it like lamb or something, whatever, you know, uh, because his doctor said he needs to, you know, and, and the transgression of so many other, um, theological commitments and beliefs and practices, you know, when they, you know, conflict, with what it is that modern medicine suggests is actually necessary. And never more have we seen that 
you know, than in you know the closing of churches and and everything else um, because of a, a so-called virus. So it's it's important to recognize, you know, that this is a it's a spiritual matter, you know, at its core, and um, you know, to engage in in that kind of a battlefield uh, is it does take a tremendous amount of courage and you can't not do it if you're already destined to do it, you know? So you, if you're on the path, if you're listening to this, you know, you know, that what's being presented to you is an opportunity um, to reclaim that, that power and to truly experience self-ownership, not only on the level of bodily sovereignty and autonomy, but also on the emotional level of understanding that, you know, you are here, you, you've got to get you, you know, you've got to have your own back um, fundamentally first, you know, before you uh, can ask that anybody else do that for you. Yep. And I think, you know, what I was saying before too, like when you start to step onto that path and the universe just, you make waves, like everything, the vibration of everything begins to change. Like the universe then supports that courage and those choices and your life begins to change. But if you don't make those choices, you just remain stuck or go backwards, right? Like grow or die, because there is no such thing as just <laughs> staying in one place. If you're not growing, you're dying. And if you're not actively moving forward, you're going backward. But that's what I love. I call it the escalator effect is that once you get on that, you take that step is the universe provides this escalator and then helps you move along. But you have to take that step. And it's that's it to me. I just boil it down to courage. Yeah. And, and what is it like you know, because a lot of people, um, I'm sure, reflect to to you and reflect to me and others, you know, who have um, audacious public platforms, uh, you know, that, oh, wow, like, you're so courageous. And what's interesting to me is that, um, you know, my, my work is not where I tap into that personally, you know, like, it, it, speaking in this way is something I must do. Uh, to feel safe in the world, actually. Um, to feel and, safe in the world, describe that. What's yeah, meaning about? that if I don't use whatever it is I've been given, you know, to do this with ease, because this is not hard for me, you know, no aspect of, of what I have done in my, other than in medical school and training, but, you know, in my sort of like post-awakened life, no aspect of this has been, has felt like work and no aspect of it has even honestly been challenging. It, it has, would be far more challenging if somebody broke my computer, took a pen and paper away from me and said, you're done expressing yourself, you know, uh, for the rest of your life, I would wither up and die probably. So this is a catharsis. It's, um, it's a way for me to feel resolve invisibility. You know, it's a way for me to feel less alone. And it's a way for me to use my power to subdue or at least challenge you know what it is that i might otherwise perceive as a threat out there in the world you know the forces that be or whatever if i'm not fighting the fight then they're much more likely to come get me you know i guess is the kind of like um subliminal track that that's running the the ways in which i experience so courage never feels like necessarily going with the flow of what's already coming out it, right. The, the feeling I've had of when I have felt courageous in my life um, is when I, it's like jumping into a freezing cold lake or something. Like it's like, it's that feeling of like just taking a massive leap and not knowing to any extent, you know, what might be on the other end of it. But knowing that the, the cost of, like you said, of staying perched on that, you know, launch pad or whatever is, is a, is a kind of pain that you can no longer endure. Mm. And so you, the, the risk is, is worth taking, but it's a, it's like a leap. And in, in the leap, it's like you fall to pixels. Like it's like you fall to bits <laughs> and you feel a bit like you're dying, you know? And, and a lot of the most courageous moments I, I have had um, have been in my mothering, you know, where I have 
really, really um, shown up in a way for, you know, my daughters and particularly my one, um, you know, very empathic and expressive daughter, unlike my very suppressed daughter who has adopted a lot of my defense mechanisms. Um, it's when I, I don't take the bait of my own uh, ego, you know, that says in order to be in control right now, do this, right? In order to stay safe, do this. And I do something different. And, you know, that, that is often what courage feels like. It's like a little whisper, I think, um, that says, mm, this time, just, just do it this way. It's going to be fine. Like you'll have another chance later. You know, it's like the, the right. devil on your yeah. shoulder kind of a thing. And there's got to be that part of you that will risk shame, will risk being wrong. I think that's a huge, huge, huge um, disincentive to engaging in, in courageous behavior. Um, and that will will tap into this trust that you are navigating yourself um, from a dimension, like a higher dimension, right? Your higher self, if you want to call it that. And not from the known spaces. Does that make sense? Like, it's like you're, yeah. you're, you're pledging allegiance to some co compass, you know, that you can't even necessarily see. And uh, once you have little contact with it, it becomes easier and easier and easier, you know, to engage it. But initially it's, it's quite harrowing. It's really beautifully said. I love that. Like this pledging allegiance to this compass, because it feels like that you're pledging allegiance to, to me, it's integrity. Like it's some kind of integrity or honesty wrapped up with courage that calls you and, and, you know, yeah, you just, yeah, you just feel your way towards it. But then once you get there, yeah, it gets easier and easier. And then you're right. It's like this higher force is now guiding your life. So I love all of that. Um, so in my work, one of the big milestones that I've observed both in myself and then through years of working with women is that when they do their sexual work and so they do their deep excavation and their block clearing and their demon hunting and they really own and, and claim their sexual selves and begin to embody that, one of the, of the qualities that they inevitably get to is not giving a fuck, right? So where they don't care what other people think of them, they, and they don't, they're not trying not to care, they just don't care right? Like they go out and do things like women going to these like nude beaches and where they were previously like really ashamed of their bodies, like just being fully naked, like with their teenage daughter and just like, you know, or telling people things, expressing their opinions and just not quitting their jobs, like out of the blue, but just because they have their life force energy, their sexual energy is now thriving and moving them forward. And so that's always been, you know, then a way that I assess in a way, like where people are at, like if they've hit that place, I'm like, she's good, right? Like there's no going back now once they're at that place. So have you noticed anything in this whole, uh, you know, arena of people stepping into their power and getting to that place of not caring anymore, not giving a fuck what other people think of them, any tie-ins with their sexual development? I know you send a lot of people to me, but like, yeah. so you, probably, <laughs> you may or may not see the results of that, but totally. if you have, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, that's very true. You know, I kind of focus my work on the the ritual portal right so like you know here's here's your uh doorway you know and i'll tell you how to walk through it and then you're on your own um the you know the experience that so many women i've i've known um kind of post time in my practice let's say or you know through um vital mind reset is is that often they engage in, you know, kind of erotic integration or um, sexual personal intimacy, you know, and this kind of exploration, often because they get to a point where they actually want more pleasure in their life. And, you know, whereas they might have found my program because they want less pain, <laughs> you know, I think <laughs> that there's something really beautiful about getting to a place where you actually are, um, you know, incentivized and inspired by increasing and expanding the pleasure in your life. 
which intuitively we know will be sourced from our own bodies, our own self-intimacy and our own self-knowledge. And that, you know, it, it has very little to do with our, our partner. Um, it has, you know, little to do with any of the stories we've told ourselves, like so many of the women, you won't be surprised to hear this, but that I've worked with have been like so-called anorgasmic, right? Like have never had an orgasm in their life. And of course, in, in conventional allopathy, that's a pathology with an ICD-10 code and everything else. But could there be conditions of safety that are set by the woman herself to foster this, you know, sort of uh, reclamation of the bliss technology that the body is, um, the reclamation of the capacity to simply um, source, you know, that kind of, like you said, vital force uh, through, you know, self-knowledge and self-intimacy on the body dimension, but certainly also an understanding that we have to learn how to create safety. You know, I often describe like the elements of, of, you know, VMR as just being a way to send a signal of safety so that you can simply begin the process of exploring that which has felt like it might kill you otherwise previously. And, you know, I think there's also, I don't know, 100% of the women I ever worked with in my practice uh, have sexual abuse history. And there is 100, 100%. Yes. Every single woman I've ever worked with. And, you know, the range has been from, you know, heinous, like the most heinous. And in fact, I wrote in, in own yourself, um, about, um, what with her consent about one of my, uh, patients experiences that I, you know, I still can barely think of without like shuddering. You just like how horrific, um, an experience a little girl can be born into, you know, all the way to, you know, something that might be considered like, you know, inappropriate touch by, you know, like a amusement park guy, you know, like right. a taker or whatever, you know, um, mo- you know, and then there were also other layers of physical, um, emotional abuse, et cetera. And so the role of that kind of trauma healing, um, is, is very much tied into experiencing safety with one's own body and, beginning to acknowledge that pleasure uh, is actually not a danger signal, right? So kind of like unentwining um, those two uh, elements. And, you know, it doesn't have to be, and I think a lot of people don't want to look at their trauma and don't want to do trauma work because they imagine they're going to have to like relive it and be back in that space and, you know, feel six inches tall with these looming entities uh, and demons all around them. Um, the difference is, you know, at least in the, in the way that I have approached this work is that you already know how to take care of that child, you know, as, as the adult who has encased, you know, the child herself, you already know. And once you simply turn towards her experience and offer her what it is that you, as your, your own child, that you didn't get in those moments, which is simply validation and a kind of comforting and soothing and reassurance um, that any, you know, sentient woman would know to offer, you know, a child in distress, that begins to heal. And so then the experience of, you know, sort of hands on your body and practices to um, engage dimensions of your body that you never even thought to be conscious of um, becomes another way to see what comes up, you know, and if things come up, you engage that same practice of being with whatever it is, you know, that is coming up. But I have, you know, I've had my own experience to know that being in coming back into the body is um it feels like often a very dangerous place to be not only because of all the imprints that often you know are are um, stored here trauma imprints but because it feels like getting out of the mind 
um, means that you're, you're vulnerable. And of course, I need to tell you that that's one of the grossest misunderstandings of what it is to be a woman, uh, because until and if th- th- this body becomes your command center, it becomes the uh, the instrument uh, for you know your yes and your no, and it fundamentally informs you of you know what it is that you need to know in a given moment. You're operating from self-abuse. You're operating from the dimension of your trauma field of abuse, except you're the one who's actually delivering it to yourself now. And so this opportunity to defy, you know, whatever programs and fear fears that might say, stay up here, you know, cause down here is for later, you know, down here is for, you know, when I have time or, or whatever, no down here, you know, this whole experience, um, of the full spectrum of what it is that your, your body has to offer you, uh, is where your power, your power lies. And I, and I have found, you know, that there are dimensions of, you know, even myself that I have, you know, I, I reached out to you recently to ask, you know, about like a sex coach. Like I want to, I want to kind of like really put my attention on what it is that I'm not seeing. Um, at this stage, you know, in my forties or whatever. Um, and, you know, already it's apparent to me that one of the, you know, cause a lot of women feel inhibited, let's say like, this is like a common experience that we feel inhibited even by yourself. I I'm a dancer. I dance every day. I love dancing. And do I ever dance by myself in front of a mirror? Never, literally never. Why do I know that that would be like super therapeutic to offer that to myself, that experience? Yes, I do. And I feel inhibited. So, you know, what is that? What is that experience of unsafety conferring to the rest of my life? I know that it's conferring a lot. And that's what I want to deconstruct because there is a, you know, a wild woman in there who I know is, is entrapped by so much conditioning around my emotional life that I see my sexuality is, you know, caged by that as well. You know, like, for example, I'll just say briefly, like, I don't like drama queens. All right. Like, I don't like hysterical women who are out of control and it doesn't have to be women. No, men are even worse, but I don't like the energy of um, hysteria. And that is why I have developed an entire personality around equanimity, around, you know, um, I don't know, maintaining my faculties of executive functioning and, and mm-hmm. articulation, even when I am afraid. Um, it's why I never lose my cool. I have never screamed at anyone. I have never thrown anything, you know, I have never lost it like that ever. And is that because that's the whole of who I am? Uh, Probably not because I wouldn't be so triggered by these individuals, including sometimes my own daughter, (laughs) you know, who express in tantrum form, who express in this way when I want to have a calm conversation that is highly intellectual about what's going on. And I want to stay in the field of rationality for me to feel safe. Right. So, so if I'm going to disavow the part of me that was probably told when I was a child not to express myself in too big a way, right. Or I would lose love. If I'm going to hide that drama queen inside myself, what else am I hiding, right? Well, I'm probably also hiding a whole dimension of my sexuality and sexual expression that would be liberated if and when, you know, I could simply acknowledge that I have this in me and and turn my attention and love towards this part of me that I've been ashamed of. And that's why I have judged and blamed outside of me, this very quality, you know, in, in my partner, in my mom, in my daughter, you know, and in so many, um, friends I have attracted over, you know, over the years. And so I, I am fascinated by the journey that is, you know, um, sexual reclamation and sexual healing and how it can begin as, you know, as quickly as you are incentivized to, to bring more, um, 
more dimensions of, of pleasure into your life. And it doesn't need to be because you're running from, you know, experiences of trauma or pain that you want to fix or, or heal. Yeah, I agree that the path through the body, like, well, that the answers are at our fingertips, right? And so the body is a huge vessel, both from what we're saying, the pain messages, but through pleasure as well. Like we, through connecting into the body, yeah, I mean, both for me, like in terms of physical exercise and activity, like anything that grounds me into my body and sexually speaking, those have been massive portals for me of awakening that have been like, wow, the, my body has all these amazing things that it can do that bring me closer to myself and to my spirit through the body. So, um, all right. So where can people dive deeper into your work if they would like to? I know that you have an amazing online community where you have all kinds of resources that are especially pertinent right now. Everything from cryptocurrency to um, homesteading and gardening. Where would you send people for any aspects of what we've discussed? Yes. Um, well, what I love about, you know, our Alliance is how complementary, you know, our work really is. I mean, there's, um, well, there's many dimensions of my work in your work, but just about none of yours in mine. So, you know, that's why I send so many people your way. Um, however, you know, the deep dive program, uh, Vital Mind Reset, that is my protocol. It's in all my books. It's online. You know, there's many ways to access it um, is, you know, kind of my my primary offering and certainly my most evidence-based and research offering. Uh, but otherwise we have a community, you know, of it's really focused on medical freedom, on bodily sovereignty and on this perspective around health. And then we kind of walk the walk of taking small steps each month toward, you know, toward the actual lived experience of this kind of sovereignty through lifestyle choices, self-care, and then, um, you know, these kinds of unhooking from the system Kind of practices getting off smartphone etc uh but yeah i'm over um you know these days newsletter is the only way to keep up because we're doing the censorship shuffle and who even knows i mean my telegram channel we could find out tomorrow that you know we gotta we gotta run so it's a it's a funny time but it's also you know one to have faith that we're gonna find each other and we're gonna get the information we need maybe not in the ways we imagined um, but that the resources will appear, you know, in front of our eyes at the right moment. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kim. The keys to the queendom are within. The path to well-fucked sovereignty, self-actualization, and not giving a fuck are found through giving lots of fucks to yourself. Through the tending of your own emotional and sexual garden and clearing space and allowing the most fertile parts of you to grow. The How to Be a Well-Fucked Woman Salon begins in late July. It is the how to live and love in a female body education that you ought to have received but did not. I show you how to tap into your full sexual and orgasmic potential and own all of your sexual self using everything from breast massage, sexual polarity work to really activate your feminine energy, quantum techniques to heal trauma, sexual trauma in particular, and learning how to channel your sexual energy into your life as a creative superpower. We will dive into all of the deeper, life-changing vaginal orgasms, plus how to use sex acts as pathways to enlightenment. You can find the free preview video series at kimanami.com under Sexual Savant Salons, and then look for The Well-Fucked Woman. I will put the salon link below this video. Come one, come all. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe and also leave a review and send someone else the gift of a healthy libido and an off the charts love life by sharing this episode with them. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, many happy orgasms. <laughs>